Well, can you think of anything more comforting than the humanity of Jesus? I mean, think about it. This is the God who created the heavens and the earth, who before anything else was made, He was. And in His wisdom and His compassion, He sent His Son to be born a human. Where, where are our confirmation class kids? They can tell you. Right? Two, two natures, one, one person, fully God, fully human. It's the mystery of Jesus Christ. But is there anything more comforting than that? I mean, this is Jesus in the story. This is a guy who grew up with friends. He grew up playing games and horsing around and, you know, getting scolded by his mother. He grew up learning how to sail, learning how to fish, learning what to do when there was a storm on a lake. Jesus knows physically what it's like to be us, what it's like to be human, to rejoice and to cry, to grieve and to wonder, to mourn and to triumphant. So in the story that Ken read for us, Jesus gets in a boat with his disciples. We don't know if they're doing anything else on the way. There's some night fishing involved or, you know, during the day. We don't know exactly what time it is. They're crossing to the other side of the lake. And if you've ever been on a lake in the summertime or springtime or really any time, and you've seen a storm kind of brew, and it can happen really fast. It's like being in the mountains, right? When you're on a lake, it can just happen. All of a sudden, it's peaceful, calm, everything's great. It's hotter than fire. And 10 minutes later, you're like, oh, no, I don't know if we're going to make it. I don't know if we're going to get out of here before something bad happens. Everybody's scrambling out of the water and running back to find some shelter. And so this is happening to the disciples. It's happening to Jesus. And as they were sailing, Jesus falls asleep. Obviously, he fell asleep because he worked music camp all week and uh, he was he was tired, you know. But Jesus gets tired, you know. I mean, Jesus, God, we know God never sleeps. We know from the scriptures. We know in the Psalms, God doesn't get tired. He doesn't get worn out. You don't burden him with your prayers. You don't burden him by calling out to him. He's not worn out. He's not tired. He doesn't yawn. He doesn't need to eat breakfast to get going in the morning. God is, he's okay with all that. He can handle it. But Jesus in the flesh, being fully human, he gets tired and he's sleepy. And so he, they're sailing. It's nice. You know, the movement of the boat, it's a good time to take a nap. So Jesus goes to sleep. I just think the picture of Jesus sleeping on one hand is one of the most comforting images in Scripture because he knows what it's like to be tired and he's sleeping. While Jesus sleeps, however, and this windstorm comes in, some of your translations will say a squall came across the lake, right? A windstorm, something uh, dynamic, some dynamic weather comes along. There's lots of wind and uh, Jesus is asleep. The disciples, of course, uh, like us, was, they were terrified. They're fearing, no doubt, for their lives, and they're panicking. They hit the panic button. Jesus is asleep. And I have to think that, you know, as good Jews, as good Jewish men, they, they knew their scriptures. You know, they prayed their scriptures. When they got together in the synagogue and when they were at home, they always prayed, and they prayed the Psalms. You know, they learned the Psalms, the same Psalms that we know. These Jewish kids, they figured those out. That's how they learned how to pray. And if they learned how to pray the Psalms, they learned some Psalms like Psalm 44. And in Psalm 44, 
there's a prayer that doesn't look very polite. It's not your polite children's church prayer to God. It's basically a prayer that says, God, we know that you've been good to us in the past and you've taken care of us. And when we had enemies, our armies have whipped their tails. And we know it wasn't us. We know it wasn't us being strong. We know it wasn't because we were smart. We know it was you, God. You were the one that made that happen. And then in the very next verse of the song says, but now we wonder where you are. There are battles around. Our enemies are all over. And now they're whipping our tail. And we can't figure out where you are. And then it goes on to say, we know it's not bad karma because we haven't done anything wrong. We've kept your covenant. We've been here. We've held on when everybody else around us is worshiping foreign gods. And we haven't. We've hung on tight. So why is this happening to us? Why are we suffering here? And why haven't you showed up like we saw you show up and we read about our ancestors? It's not a polite prayer, but it's a prayer that will save your life. If you want to have faith in this world, it is a prayer that is an honest prayer that you will have to pray at some point in your life and most likely multiple times. God, where are you? And the reason it's so appropriate for this text is because at the end of the psalm, <laughs> it says, God, rouse yourself, right? Wake up. Where's the smelling salts? Where's the coffee? Like, get out of bed and do something. We're, we're struggling here. Life is hard and we don't know where you are. The pain of life is wearing us down. And we're afraid we're going to die in this storm. Where are you? And so if they knew that psalm and they knew that prayer, they knew what to do when they were scared and afraid of death. But, you know, we, we come from a line of people. Our ancestors, they learned how to pray these prayers like this. Jacob, remember Jacob who wrestled with God and walked with a limp? After, Remember Paul who prayed and pleaded with God that the thorn be removed? And it wasn't. So he kept wrestling with God in that way. Remember Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, which Gethsemane means olive press. He's pressed from all sides. And he's feeling all the weight, the human emotion that goes with knowing that you're going to die. And Jesus cries out, God, why? Wh where are you? If, if, this, if it's possible, can you take this pain away from me? Can you take this situation away from me? So this is one of our prayers. And it's like in the church, we, we just don't pray it that much. And we don't encourage people to pray it. And we hear people praying like that and we say, oh, no, 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 it's not that bad. God's not asleep. Don't worry about it. He's fine, right? You just, you're laying it all out on the altar, and it's like, oh, no, now, 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 now. Don't pray that prayer. God, of course, is, is right around the corner. He's fine. He wouldn't want you praying that way. I'm telling you, when we talk to people like that, when they're praying like this, it's a faith killer. It's a faith killer. Because the way that we grow in our faith is to pray honest prayers like this that at the root capture what it feels like to be abandoned. They capture what it feels like to think, I'm about to die. And God's asleep. What is going on? Jesus, you're sleeping for crying out loud. This whole thing's going to capsize us, fill it with water. What are you doing? Do you, do you not know how precious life is? Do you not know what it's like to be afraid? We cannot short-circuit the genuine faith process. If we short-circuit it and we hush these prayers, 
And we offer cliches and quick fix sayings when people are suffering. We participate in the destruction of faith. We don't mean to. We don't set out to. But it's a real thing. So as you picture the pain of life, and you picture what it's like to feel abandoned, and you picture Jesus sleeping on the boat, is ask ourselves the question, where does it seem like God is asleep lives? Can you think of a place in life, can you think of a situation where it just seems like God might be asleep? It's okay to go ahead and imagine that and to wonder. Write it on a piece of paper. Tell somebody about it. Man, this is going on in my life, and I feel like God's just snoozing. He's just over there on vacation. He just doesn't see what's going on. What's the deal? Where does it seem like God sleep in our lives? The next question comes after Jesus begins to respond to the disciples panicking and freaking out and knowing what to do by going to get him. They run over and they grab him and they say, Jesus, hey, perishing. We're, we're dying. We're, we're about to be goners here. And they call him master. They call him Lord. They recognize there's power there and they know Jesus can do something. So we're perishing. They just cry out. And so Jesus wakes up. He rebukes the wind, the raging waves, and the wind of the squall, it ceases. And there's a calm. So there's a calm and everybody's okay. And you know when you've survived the storm and it looks like it's going to be alright. And the sun kind of starts coming out again. And then Jesus asks the disciples a question. He says, where is your faith? And that's the question I've really been wrestling with all week. Where is your faith? Drebeck, where is your faith? And then in the plural, where is y'all's faith? Where is our faith? I think sometimes we're, we tend to want to hear that in shameful way, like Jesus is scolding us, like, now, now, you guys, where's your faith? Why don't you kind of get with the program and pony up, and let's see that faith one more time. Right? Let's, let's see you muster some of that faith. But remember that great text in Hebrews where the Scripture writer tells us that God disciplines those that He loves? He only disciplines those He loves, right? He, he's... he's He's chastising for the purpose of going somewhere, getting somewhere. Jesus isn't trying to shame the disciples. He's not being mean. He's, he's working with them. Right? He's, he's, he's in the training process. Remember, these are the people that he's chosen to lead the charge for the kingdom of God in the world. And they're here on the boat panicking, afraid they're going to die. So, where is your faith? Let's look at the disciples for a second, and let's look at where is their faith. Do they have faith? Do they have any faith at all? Do they have some faith, but it's weak? Because we some, sometimes think of it in static terms. You know, you either have faith or you don't. But in the case of the disciples, Jesus is asking them as to the location of their faith, maybe as to the status of their faith, but we know that the disciples at this point in their lives have faith. So let's look at what they do have, and then we'll look at maybe what they don't have. We'll see this out. So what do the disciples have? Well, for one, they have this whole enterprise, this whole job description of being with Jesus. Luke tells us many times in the early chapters of his gospel 
that the disciples, these that he's chosen, these that he's called, they are with him. And that's kind of summarizes the journey of discipleship for us, right? Being with Jesus, that's kind of what it takes. Being with Jesus is the discipleship process. Being with Jesus. So that's the nature of discipleship. The disciples have signed up. They've been called. They've left everything. They're following Jesus. And now they're with him in a boat because he asked them to go. So there's some faith there, right? They are with Jesus. They have faith. What else do they have? Well, they have the wherewithal and the schooling and I think the prayer experience from the Psalms to say, oh, we better go wake up Jesus. We're scared. Let's go holler at him. You know, let's see what he can do. So they cry out to God. Crying out to God is a habit. It's something we have to learn. Right? It's like in the time we're children, we learn to cry out to our parents when we need something. And then as we become adults, we learn we're not supposed to cry out to our parents anymore, which is good. Amen. Any of the raising raising kids? There's a point. It's like, don't cry out to me anymore. <laughs> I'm supposed to be out crying out to you now. But we have to learn to cry out to God. That's a skill that we learn in our prayer life, to cry out to God. And it's not easy sometimes. We feel uh, sheepish. We feel like maybe God's got bigger fish to fry, if, if God hears us at all. But it's a habit in prayer. Cry out to God. Save us, God, or we're going to die. That's a great prayer to pray. So they have that, the ability to cry out to God. And then finally, the disciples have the ability to marvel. They have the, the ability to be astonished, to look around and go, wow, that's pretty incredible. And when we lose the ability to wonder and to be amazed we're not candidates anymore for this kind of faith. It requires a level of amazement, anticipation, what God might be up to and what he might be able to do. So if that's what they have, what do the disciples not have? Why is Jesus saying, where's your faith? You know, I know you guys have faith. Why is it not showing up in all areas of your life? Master, master, we are perishing. There's some undue fear. We know what that's like. We know what it's like to be irrationally afraid. We know what it's like to know that we shouldn't be so scared and everything's going to be okay, but we are anyways. So just kind of owning that. And then they also don't recognize Jesus for who he is. You know, they're asking one another, like, who is this guy? Who is this? That Even the wind and the waves, did y'all see that? They obeyed him like he told them, shush, and they stopped. Who are we dealing with here? Who do, who do we get in a boat with? You know, they're, they're astonished. They're amazed. So they, they still haven't recognized Jesus. They don't, they don't know fully what God is up to and what is going to re, be required of the disciples. Some work to do. Welcome to the club, disciples, right? We know what, we know what that's like. So they don't have that 100% full bore faith that they will in some that they'll have later and that they'll need to be leaders in the kingdom of God but they have some faith right so if we're looking for a genuine faith a genuine trust in God that's not a false faith it's not a fabricated faith it's not a faith that sort of has a pretty picture painted on it but it, at the end of the day it's not deep rooted and strong if this is the case what I love about Jesus is that he's inviting a step-by-step -step approach to faith. 
He's, he's welcoming those steps. You know, and sometimes all you've got is baby steps, right? Sometimes all we've got is that cry saying, if you don't help us, we're going to die. That's a step. Jesus allowing a step-by-step arrival in the mysteries of the kingdom is good news for us. It reminds us that there's a place for us in this journey, wherever we are. Some of us feel like we're just getting started. Some of us feel like we've been at this a while. Some of us feel like we were, you know, way ahead and now we've fallen back behind. Or We have all sorts of wonderings about where we are in the journey of faith. But all of us are on a pilgrimage. We're all still moving. That's the most important thing. In my notes this week, I just wrote MIT over that moving in faith, like being in the boat. Most important thing. Above all else, like staying in the boat, right? Because we're in the boat with Jesus. You know, the early church fathers, they talk about this story and they said the boat is the church. And Jesus is in the boat to calm everything down because he knew the church would face perils that we can't dream of. But we just stay in the boat and Jesus is there. So it's going to be okay. And there's going to be other people in other boats hollering at us and telling us, hey, you should be better, you should be further along, you should be whatever. I'm telling you, staying in the boat is a win. It's a win. Hanging on to the side, hanging on to an oar, hanging on to somebody else that's been there longer makes all the difference. Jesus is not cutting the disciples loose because they're not 100% there. They're slowly, steadily building faith. And there is no quick fix for faith in the company of Jesus. This happens over time. It's not a switch that we flip, but a level of trust that we acquire. Something we gradually possess. It's a gift. And it takes work. We're moving. We're in the boat. We're not beached. We're moving. We're cruising. One of the most important things, I think, when we ask questions like this, when we cry out to God like this, is to be connected to other people that are doing the same thing, that are going in the same direction. It it looks like all kinds of different things. Sometimes it's Sunday school classes. Sometimes it's prayer groups. Sometimes it's a couple of people that get together to talk about the nature of the soul. You know, like the early Methodists, they would get together and check in every week. Hey, how is your soul? How are you doing on this pilgrimage of faith? Where, Where does it seem like God is abandoning you? Where do you need to cry out? Where do you need us to pray with you? What practices are you putting in place in your life to grow in this stuff that we're professing together? It takes a company of us to get it all together, to keep us moving in the right direction. Um, So where does it seem like God is asleep and where is our faith? I couldn't narrow it down to one experience in life to really kind of wrap up the sermon with of times that I have felt abandoned and I've had to learn to pray the prayer, God, where are you? I was thinking of a time in my early 20s. I was thinking of a time in my late 20s. I was thinking of a time in my mid-30s. And all times were in marriage and in parenting and in work and in friendship. I thought, man, God has done left the premises, right? He, he is sleeping on this deal. I don't know what I've done. You know, here I am. Here I am at seminary for crying out loud. I've left everything, God, to follow you. Why, what is going on? What in the world? We all we ask those questions, right? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? Why is this stuff not working like it's supposed to work? 
You know, I never got answers to those questions. I never got divine explanations written in the stars. But something I always felt like I got as I cried out, as I prayed that prayer, and as I screamed at other people so they could help me pray. When I come to the communion table, I don't feel abandoned. When I hold the bread and the wine in my hands and take that gift, I know that God is with me. I know that He is present. And I can't explain it. It's a mystery. But I know in those moments, something, just a little bit, one step further, about the faithfulness of God that allows our faith to grow. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.